Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hana Lee. I am president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why we launched our podcast to help our industry rebuild and rebound by interviewing top journalists who share their insights and tips for gaining the media's attention. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Noah Rothbaum, editor of the Daily Beast's half-full section, which won a Tales of the Cocktail Spirit Award for Best Cocktail and Spirits Publication. Noah also hosts the podcast Life Behind Bars with legendary cocktail historian David Wondrich, which won a Tales of the Cocktail Spirit Award for Best Podcast Series. In addition, Noah is the author of The Art of American Whiskey and The Business of Spirits and he is associate editor of the upcoming Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. Hi, Noah. Thanks for joining us. So great to see you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So for our listeners, Noah, can you tell us what makes a Daily Beast story a Daily Beast story? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think that's, you know, we're, we're all about um, intersections, right? So, uh, you know, for, for Half Full, that's really kind of the intersection of cocktails and drink and, and food with larger society and, and culture. And we don't rank or rate whiskeys. We don't do listicles usually. Um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, the sort of standard cocktail and drink you know, articles. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that, but there, there are a lot of places doing that. And, you know, for us, it's, it's really, you know, often the story behind the story. Like we like to go a little bit deeper, um, question things that a lot of people have, you know, just sort of accepted as fact or as, as history, um, you know, tell some of the stories that have never been told. Um, you know, some of my favorite stories are the ones where we go beyond, you know, the, the just accepting truth and, and, and find, you know, a whole new, you know, sort of, thread and, and yarn and, and story to tell. You are the editor of Half Full at Daily Beast. So how did you come up with the name? Well, <laughs> it's a good I question. Know. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I came aboard uh, the Daily Beast, um, you know, it was one of these things that we had never had like a dedicated drink and food section. So um, the Daily Beast, you know, was, you know, it certainly covered you know, drinks and food in the past, but had never had a dedicated section. We launched um, at Tales of the Cocktail in, uh, I guess, 2016, like July of 2016. And at the time, we were sort of called Drink and Food. Um, and then, like, you know, I guess about a, a year later or so, we, we, you know, came up. We felt like we needed something a little bit, like, more distinctive than just drinking food. And we needed to tell people, like, what we were so um you know a lot of the great names have been taken so you know you, you start thinking about you know all of you know of course everything at first that you come up with somebody else has come up with right and you know we we're sitting around like you know my um colleague uh, leah doyle who you know we you know who runs the business side of half full we 
came up with you know the name and you know you know it was, it was the one that kind of worked for everything um and and you know we didn't want to um pigeon our pigeonhole ourselves like just about cocktails or whiskey or rum or spirits so like we wanted something that was a little bit more broad and sort of slightly optimistic obviously you know it's not half empty um <laughs> uh, that would it's <laughs> really a different type of site um it, we the the name is it, it fit and uh i have a constant uh disagreement with um mimi sheridan who's who's uh, you know the legendary new york times food critic you know for years and mimi um was you know one of our our first columnists and is still writes for us on occasion and um still doesn't love the name half full and still still gives me grief over it and still oh, hopes no. that we'll change it but i think at this point hopefully it's probably two past where we can change it so uh for better or for worse I, I think it's a keeper yeah i i would hope so <laughs> i would hope so you you all work with a lot of influential writers like dave wondrich like uh, Wayne Curtis, like yeah. Lou Bryson. Yeah. So who gets to contribute to the section? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Dave, Dave, you know, now only writes for half full, right? So this is, this is his, his only gig. We were able to convince him to leave Esquire, which was a major coup. Um, and, and, you know, the beast and, and half full, like, you know, we really celebrate long form journalism and which is really a rarity. And you had all these people, you know, um, who claimed to be, you know, media experts, you know, talking about how, you know, long form journalism was dead and nobody cared about that stuff. And, you know, like, you know, surely nobody would read these types of articles on their phone or, you know, it was all about listicles and short stuff that could be, you know, processed. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, it's hilarious because we did exactly the opposite of all of that advice. And some of our most successful stories have been some of the longest ones where Dave will write, you know, like a 20,000 word two part piece about the history of old overhaul and like, you know, rye whiskey. <laughs> and it's just, it proves like that that was completely wrong. I mean, thank God. I mean, really that, um, that people really are interested in long form journalism. Over the years, it's sort of, you know, as writers, you know, have more or less time as they're working on different projects, you know, we'll get pieces, you know, and, and, you know, it comes out that I'm always looking for a good story, you know, and it's, you know, I, you know, it's one of these things like we had a great piece from Earl Greer who, who owns a uh, high life that um, restaurant on the Upper West Side. And Earl was, he was telling me a story about how he used to run this restaurant um, in the Ed Sullivan theater when, when the Letterman show started. And, he opened, you know, he got, he was able to get the space and he hired a chef and then the chef quit and he had to hire another guy. And the guy he hired was named Anthony Bourdain. And I was like, Earl, you gotta, you gotta write this story for us. Like, this is incredible. Like you, like not that many people like, you know, could talk about what Bourdain was like, you know, before he was Anthony Bourdain in all caps and famous, like he was mm -hmm. Tony, the chef to you, like, like you got to write. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's good stories. I mean, you know, I like to say often like our writers are, you know, the types of people that, uh, you know, they're experts are the types of people that other journalists call to get quotes. So like, you know, uh, you know, which makes it kind of hard, you know, for other writers to write for us because it's like, you know, if you're going to write about punch, like obviously 
like then Dave is just going to write about punch. Like, I mean, he's the expert on punch. You, you want to write about, he wrote the book on the subject. He literally <laughs> wrote the book. So, I mean, it's, you know, you, we have, you know, some of literally the greatest whiskey experts in the world writing for us. So again, it becomes hard to break in, you know, about a lot of the normal sort of subjects because, you know, we've either written about them or, or like, you know, a lot of the people you'd call are already like half full contributors. But, but that doesn't mean, I mean, uh, you know, again, if it, if it's a really good idea and it's a story that hasn't been told, uh, you know, I'm up for it. Speaking of drinking, uh, one of our favorite half full column is going 10 rounds with. Oh yeah. So how do you choose the people you want to feature? You know, it's, it's a fun story because we asked essentially the same questions roughly to like basically every subject and, and, and often they're like, they're fairly straightforward questions, but some of the simplest questions often elicit the most interesting responses. Right. And, and obviously we're, we're not, I'd like to say that I came up with this idea. Obviously a lot of publications do a similar interview feature. Right. And, and I understand why, because you do get people like being very truthful and sometimes it elicits things that like I had never intended or expected. And, you know, we have like a VIP version where we've done ones with like Kyle McLaughlin and um, Paul Pierce, the basketball player. Um, we've done, you know, ones with a whole, you know, range of chefs and bartenders and um, sommeliers. And it's kind of interesting. We sort of run the gamut from, you know, the Andrew Zimmerns of the world um, and the Carla Halls to folks who are, you know, opening up cocktail bars and sort of like farm to table restaurants all over America, right? So, you know, the only silver lining of this pandemic or one of the few is that maybe we'll have a lot of new people come into the industry with new ideas who will want to open new establishments and, and have new energy and vitality and, you know, help reinvigorate and help everybody as an industry to come back and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully 10 rounds will tell those stories. So, I mean, again, I, you know, I, I wish I, there was like a formula that said like, you know, you have to have like so many seats in your restaurant or bar and you have to win so many awards. I mean, it's, you know, we want to mix. I mean, I think that's, what's really interesting about it is that it's in some ways it's like, a. I mean, now it sounds boring and nobody will want to read it, but I would say almost kind of like a census, right. Or survey, right. Where the more, people we get and, and the broader of a, you know, of a, of a survey um, we can get, the better, the better it is. Like that's what's sort of fun about 10 rounds is that that kind of stuff kind of bubbles up. No question. And you, you brought up the topic of uh, chefs and restaurants. So with, with restaurants slowly, but surely reviving, uh, do you see your coverage expanding of the culinary sector? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I absolutely. I mean, I think of all, I mean, it, you know, as, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was it was sort of hard to figure out what what we should write about or what people wanted to hear about. And you know, at first, it was a lot of about what was going on, like and pieces for bartenders or chefs or people who worked in restaurants, bars, and how they could get help and different funds that were being set up. And then, you know, we'll definitely cover the reopening, and then obviously, you know, hopefully sooner than later, knock on wood, the like return and and you know, more, you know, I think, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but like, you know, I love to cook and I think my family for the most part likes what I cook. But after like 
a year plus of of eating a lot of home cooking and even takeout from like a 10 block radius mm-hmm. we're all pretty excited to like go a little bit farther afield and eat in restaurants <laughs> not in our neighborhood maybe in in other countries or other boroughs um or other states uh, you know I, I i feel a little bit more optimism and and it's like i think we're all very very eager to like get back to the normalcy and eat in like you know even my local diner but i think part of it's just also like we the reality is is that we're not quite there yet so i have to manage even my own expectations about like <laughs> what i'll be but like you know i you know i got a note the other day that my friends who live in new orleans you know they're fully vaccinated and they were having brunch at commander's palace and i i i have never been so jealous in my life of somebody else like i i just you know the idea of of being able to like a be in new orleans again and and go to commander's palace is it just sounds like heaven um right about now <laughs> yes dreaming about it yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, obviously, with this uh, reopening of the restaurants and bars and, um, you know, across the country, um, there's a lot of chefs and bartenders who are probably looking for a way to be featured on Half Full or any other, you know, the media outlets. So what are the top three things that our listeners should keep in mind when they are pitching you? We, I mean, a keep in mind that we get a lot of pitches, right? I mean, that's the nature of this business, right? And and um, I would like to say that I respond to everybody, but to be honest, the rate of pitches has outstripped the amount of time that I can reply to like pitches. But again, I, I think there are ways around, like you know, the kind of traditional pitching model, right? Where a you know, social media has really helped. Where you know, following me or other, you know, regular half full contributors on Twitter or Instagram or other platforms. Um, I, you know, because often like we'll follow you back, you know what I mean? Cause we're interested too about what people are doing. And, and in some ways we're even more interested in, in, in markets outside of like New York and LA and Chicago, which get a lot of or Miami get, get a lot of press. Right. So sometimes, I mean, that's a great way. I mean, also again, one of the other silver linings of the pandemic has been so much online events and programming, which has been actually wonderful and, and hopefully will continue where, you know, because it's online, you know, people from all over the country around the world can tune in and listen, you know, whether it's a podcast or a, webinars an event for tales or other people or whatever it is which is great and 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 those things too are kind of a place to be noticed you keep showing up or you ask questions and you know you you interject about what you're doing again that's a place you know the bar is so high that you really have to be doing something that's interesting and new and different i mean you look at it with craft distilleries and like so many of the successful ones were like the first one in fill in the blank state since before prohibition and part of it was just that they were so popular because it it, it was such a mind-boggling idea that like we could open up a distillery in our neighborhood or the state and like that would reflect you know local values or culture like who wouldn't want to buy in right and now like you know a lot of states you know you look at new york and 
I mean, there were dozens and dozens of distilleries, which is wonderful, and a lot of communities support their distilleries. Mm-hmm. But to stand out, to get that kind of national acclaim, it takes more than just it takes more than what it it, it did 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago. So, I mean, again, I think you have to, you have to bear that in mind a little bit. Yeah. So now let's move on to your podcast. Yes. Life Behind Bars that you co-host with the one and only Dave Wondrich. Yes. Yeah. So what was the inspiration for starting the podcast? Well, and it, and obviously it's not about prison, um, <laughs> but about cocktails. We we love the title. Well, thank you. You, you recently did a podcast about uh, the Roaring Twenties. Oh yeah, and what they could teach us as we you know ease ourselves back to post pandemic life. So what what do you predict is going to happen to bars and restaurants uh, as restrictions begin to lift? Dave and I kept hearing like you're right, like everybody keeps saying like, oh, this is this is going to be just like the Roaring Twenties. It's just good. And and to be honest, like. It, it's in some ways a perfect analogy, but also it's a very flawed one because, you know, you know, obviously the world was coming out of World War One, and then, you know, the, um, the, the influenza outbreak, you know, is something that was often kind of skipped over. I mean, it's such a, there's so many um, earth shattering, um, truly, you know, events, you know, in such a short amount of time that like we don't really often talk about the Spanish flu. Um, but you know, the world is coming, you know, world war one, then the influenza. And then, you know, in America we have prohibition and the depression. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, things go a little bit differently for us today. Um, after our pandemic is over that we won't be hit with a record setting depression and, you know, and and a bout of prohibition. But, um, I do think that similarly that like, those restaurants and bars that are able to somehow hang on, which which is really no small feat through the pandemic to the end. Once this is like over, and, and by that I mean, I guess we get herd immunity and, and most of the population is vaccinated, that bars and restaurants will be busier than they'll ever have been before. I mean, you will, there will not be enough alcohol there will not be enough food there will not be enough seats there will not be enough bartenders i mean i think that's a real thing that we're starting to see in a lot of markets opening up now is that especially in the hospitality industry we've seen a lot of from what i hear now from bar owners and restaurateurs is that it's very very hard to fill fill jobs to get people to open so there will be there will be shortages i mean that and and i mean it'll be like a crazy carnival um you know uh mardi gras i imagine in most cities and it'll probably last a long time (laughs) i i I mean hopefully let's hope so deserve it um we all deserve i think uh, a party and good food and drink after what we've all been through Speaking of a good time, um, we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we truly believe in the future of our industry. And I think it's going to come back stronger than ever. So in your opinion, Noah, can you tell us if there's anyone or any organization that is doing great work that is moving hospitality forward? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think, you know, it's it's been amazing to see how the hospitality industry has responded 
you know, to the coronavirus and, you know, and, and really, you know, how people have stepped up and, and turned their restaurants and bars, you know, from literally feeding the industry to their community, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, down in the Miami Jaguar Sun, um, our, our friend, uh, Will Thompson and, and his partner, you know, really, you know, we're going out of their way to like, you know, kind of turn the idea of like the family meal into a family meal for their community. Um, my old friend Edward Lee in, in Kentucky and in, in Louisville with his Lee initiative is, it's been incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that mm-hmm. he's, you know, created a, a whole foundation about mentoring, but also like, you know, getting you know uh, again mobilizing the the hospitality industry in order to you know feed people in, in different areas i mean obviously you know jose andreas uh, is i mean his incredible. work is incredible i mean yeah, uh, you know he's a great humanitarian he really is i mean I, to be honest i never really thought that i it never occurred to me that we would need him in america you know we would never i mean i, I it was inconceivable that we would have some kind of pandemic or you know natural disaster that would require him to, to do what he does here and i mean it's i mean it's it's been amazing that you know what he's been able to do in in america and organizing you know food pantries and feeding people but and and, and sort of very sad that it, it came down to you know the hospitality industry to sort of reinvent itself i, I again i never thought that that it would come to that no question. And now for the listener question segment of our show, we have a question from Daniel Neeson and Adam Millman, founders of Donata Tequila, which is launching in New York and California. They ask, in your opinion, what do you think the future holds for tequila overall, especially the premium segment? Ooh, that's that. that that's a whole other episode of, uh, <laughs> of, of this podcast. I mean, I think, look, I mean, it, it's kind of amazing. When I mean, my first book that came out, the, the Business of Spirits, which came out in two thousand seven, you which know, is a great read. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting changes is with tequila because at the time, I mean, oh seven wasn't that long ago, right? I mean, it's you know, at the time that tequila brand ambassadors, the one thing that they had to contend with every time they did a tasting or event was somebody asking whether or not tequila came with a warm in it, right? And I, and I haven't heard that question in a long time, thankfully, right? But, but you know, people would, you know, the only way that they would ever drink tequila was in margaritas, frozen margaritas, right? Like neon green frozen margaritas or like shot, you know, the, the salt and the, the squeeze of lime, you know, the whole, the hand thing. Mm-hmm. But you fast forward to today and you have, you know, several generations of adults now who grew up in a world where tequila had none of that baggage, right? None of those misconceptions. It's only seen as a premium or super premium spirit, right? There are all types of tequila cocktails. I mean, I think we still might be on the margarita, but instead of like the neon green frozen margarita, we're now on like, you know, the Tommy's margarita, you know, the Paloma, the, you know, the Cadillac margarita. I mean, there's, all of these, so many other tequila drinks. And, and they're showing off better spirits. Right. I mean, it's it's literally so long since somebody's offered me the shot with the salt in the 
the line that I, I couldn't, I literally had a, I was writing an article and I referenced it and I literally had to call somebody to double check what the order was because I haven't done it. And so oh. <laughs> thankfully, I mean, I'm not asking for it to return, but like, but it's just a whole other world. So, and, and to be honest, I think we're still scratching the surface for agave spirits, right? For both tequila and mezcal. We'll see ever more, hopefully drinks made with tequila. Um, you know, we'll see more recipes. We'll see a wider variety of different, you know, agave-based spirits, you know, on shelves. That will just continue to happen. So before we go, Noah, what's the best way for our listeners to contact you and pitch their stories? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that I am not on social media, but um, Twitter is often like a great way to, to get hold of me. Um, it's just N Rothbaum, so N-R-O-T-H-B-A-U-M. So. Great. All right, Noah. First of all, great to see you. And yeah, um, yeah hopefully we see you in person sometime that soon. That would be nice. For margaritas. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, thanks again for doing this for our community. So we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Insightful, progressive, and collaborative. These words nicely sum up Noah. Now that you know what Noah is looking for, please feel free to reach out to him with your story ideas. And don't forget to mention that you heard him on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips our journalist friends share on our show. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.